On today's Stuncast, we review the Squire of Gothos. After discovering a strange planet in the void of space, Sulu and Kirk mysteriously vanish. As McCoy leads an away team to rescue their missing crew, they meet a maniacal man-child with the powers of a god and a huge Napoleon boner. Apart from that, it's a great episode on Set Podcast to Stun! Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Chancellor Emily Gowron. Hey, kabla! And Admiral Corey. Good afternoon to you both. Oh, good afternoon to you. I see you're in your gentlemanly mood today, Corey. Yes, this is my fancy speech that I'll be adapting throughout the course of this episode. Oh, and Hail if, and well met, mm, fellow travelers. I like it. If, as if you didn't speak fancy enough. I did Ugh. grow up in rural Nevada. <coughs> rural Nevada. <laughs> we talk right. <laughs> All right. So yeah, let's get into this week's episode. It's called The Squire of Gothos. So yeah, let's talk about our first impressions uh, what thumbs up or down, guys? What did you like it? I wanted to hate it, but you know what? I ended up really liking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked it a lot. Four? I thought it was really, really fun. It was cool. Yeah, I enjoyed this one as well. I liked it too. Holy shit! Holy shit! We all agree. The the Trinity it uh, has happened. You know now that this episode is going to be eaten by the ether. Yeah. <laughs> You keep maybe, jinxing it. Maybe we can just agree collectively that the first 14 episodes of Star Trek are generally really shitty. Mm-hmm. And that they're probably getting better, it seems. I feel like they have been getting better the last couple of episodes. I think since since the Menagerie, I felt like the quality has been going up. There's definitely an upward trend, I feel like. I, I think mm-hmm. we've talked about this before in an earlier episode, like... And this episode did this as well. I like the characters, and the characters feel like they have personality. And in the first handful of episodes, that's just absolutely missing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's go into that already. Let's talk about the characters. Not a lot of new characters this week. So let's start off with our main antagonist, who is... Um, oh man, I'm having a hard time remembering. General uh, Tre- Trillane. Trillane. Trelane. Johnny Tremaine. Squire, yeah. It's General Trelane, but he's a retired general, so just call him Squire. But they never call him that. They just call him Trelane. So that's probably what we'll call him. Trelane. So yeah, what'd you think of him? I thought he was a good, interesting character. He was a lot of fun to have in the episode. He was very, very Q-like from TNT. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you guys, who do you like better, this guy or Q? Well, I think... And we'll get around to this, but my fan theory here is that the Q race, because I I absolutely think that this is a Q member, uh, and people on the show have kind of said that this is a proto-Q episode. I believe mm-hmm. that this is like a Q nursery, so this is a child Q <laughs> that's untrained. And it's kind of hard to compare them because the Q we meet in TNG is a mature, ancient being. And by all indications, this is a, a child who uh, has yet to grow into their powers. Well, 
and uh, this might start an argument, but the Q don't have children, and it's in a Voyager where children of the Q or a Q child is actually introduced, and it's a big, it's a big to do in the Q that they had a kid. So actually, in season four uh, of Voyager, uh, yeah. you can clearly see that the Q don't have children. In in the two part episode, I it's a Q. will say that yeah. I kind of like this one off Q. The Q that we know that pops up in TNG, I don't always love those episodes. Like sometimes I'm just like, oh fuck, not this again. But having this be like a one-off and hints at more Qs or a Q universe, a Qiverse, if you will, I, that was great. Mm-hmm. I heard that Rosario Dawson wants to play a Q <laughs> in an upcoming. Star Trek series. I'd be interested to see that. That'd that be would be cool. a great setup. I one time, I think I might have been sick, and so I was like staying in bed. But I, I did a casting, like a dream casting in my mind. If I was going to reboot a gender flipped Indiana Jones, and she was, I think my my main choice for a new Indiana Jones. <laughs> Sounds like a fever dream to me. <laughs> I was. It would have. It'd be so great. Uh, Paramount Pictures, call me. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I don't know if there's a lot to speak about. I mean, he's a fun character. I think the most interesting thing about him is he's trying to access humanity. Uh, there was an interesting part where he said, oh, that was great. I actually experienced anger for a little bit there, and mm-hmm. I can't hold on to it, but I was generally angry. So it's an interesting way to explore humanity. Do we do we want to talk about this character's motivations and what, what they're trying to accomplish, or are we going to save that for the, uh, the recap? No, no, I think this is a good time to go into that. Yeah, let's yeah. do it right now. This is not my original idea. I, I read this online, but the, the, the comparison is drawn between uh, Trelane and Charlie X because oh, okay. they both are like Ugh. immature beings of incredible power. And then the spoiler at the end of the episode is that uh, th- they are kind of put in their place by a parent who mm-hmm. makes them become more responsible and t- kind of takes their toys away from them. And they're both green ethereal parents. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like, so it's a it's a pretty close comparison. This Trelane has created a planet and has supposedly been watching humanity. But if you go at like what humanity looked at through his telescope, that would be at light speed, which is 900 years ago. So he's looking at early 18th century Earth, and everything about him is just all, all the mannerisms. He's a he's a posh Britishman. Uh, who's like you know dressed in regal general attire and everything about the playing minuets like, on the piano exactly is he's it... like this post renaissance romanticized kind of a, a room that he lives in yeah he he makes a reference to alexander hamilton but was it like an english thing or was it it felt very french to me like french revolution it could have just been an old thing did you get a specific british vibe and maybe i'm splitting hairs here I seem to remember somewhere there was, was it in the episode description they talk about Napoleon? Yeah. Did that come up? Because that never came up in the episode. Well, it came up because the two guys that were on the planet, one had like a a last name that was French and one had Mm -hmm. a last name that was German. And so he Mm -hmm. gets excited about both of those things. Oh my God. I love that scene. (laughs) I got a French vibe, but that could also be like in the 1700s, you know, France was the pinnacle. So, you know. That dress that he put on that new uh, human 
Yilman was very, it felt very French to me. So yeah. that's kind of the whole aesthetic I got. The um, Josephine Bonaparte empire waist. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, Corey, though, that I didn't, I was wondering why he was, had a time lag and I didn't know he was getting the light from earth. And then in that time, that's how far back he would have seen. So that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah. One of the comparisons he has to Q is his fascination with humanity. And like, mm-hmm. like Q really, really wants to get to know Picard and study humans. And this, this Trelane also does that. But he's really obsessed with the martial side of humans, the wars that they fought. Because 19th century Earth was just, was just full of war and conflict mm. and, and, and expansion and, and the Imperial Age. And that's like, he's so obsessed with that. And that's all he wants to talk about with the, the away crew that beams down. So that's kind of his shtick. Yeah. And for sure, like Trelane was very annoying and childish, but it all came together and it worked well. And I thought he was nice and bombastic and he was fun to watch. So that whole thing was just super interesting. Were, were you guys excited to see that we have a new navigator? Someone sitting to the left of Sulu? My first thought oh. was this guy's going to be an asshole, but he was actually pretty cool. <laughs> He's like the first not annoying navigator right all of them have been kind of annoying dicks he he's not i mean he gets a little like aggressive and and violent i guess but yeah he's less annoying than the other ones it's mr desal would you would you guys think of kirk in this episode do you think he handled the situation intelligently and and well Mm, yeah absolutely I, i had no complaints with him but i think this was one where like the characters around Kirk really got to shine. Like there's a part when they get transported down to Trelane's planet and someone's like, wow, the food doesn't taste like anything. And Bones just walks up and he has a thing of brandy and he's like, yeah, and the yeah. brandy sucks. Like they transport him down and Bones just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's get drunk. <laughs> and I, it's typical Bones, right? He's yeah. like, okay, let me like check out this brandy. <laughs> doctor's orders and like there's a part where he tells her to play something on the piano and she's like i don't know how to play this and he's like yes you do and then she starts playing and she's like hell yeah i'm great you can like see her face like jamming out and yeah she seems very pleased with it yeah now i know kung fu (laughs) (laughs) i feel like sometimes we've loved kurt because he's such a good actor and he just embodies that role that he almost becomes like a scene stealer. And in this episode, they reverse it where all the other characters really get to shine, including Spock. It was a great Spock episode. Mm-hmm. Spock really kind of broke everything down and had a nice clear-eyed vision of it. Great sass. Yeah, I liked when he was talking to the guy. He's like, I object to you. I object to intelligence without discipline. I forget the other, like power without inhibition or something. I like the one yeah. where the Verlaine, Trelane guy says, oh, a Vulcan, are they predatory? And Spock says, not generally, but there have <laughs> been exceptions. <laughs> God damn it, you guys. You took the two notes that I wrote down for the entire episode were those two <laughs> quotes. Yeah, Spock had some great lines. He, he was awesome this episode. I just love the adversarial relationship he had with Trelane because everyone else was kind of following Kirk's lead and Trelane immediately took a disliking to Spock because mm-hmm. Spock beams them off the planet for the first time and I, I i thought that that was some a really cool uh like how spock just stood up to this god like i don't give a shit do what you want to me yeah it, mm-hmm. I, the way that you described it of spock standing up to a god is 
just right on. He is just like, I don't like you. Kick rocks, asshole. We're going to throw you into a grave and then bury a mountain on top of you. That's what we did to the last god that we faced up against. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Spock really knows his way around a veiled insult. Any other? Or an unveiled insult. Yeah. (laughs) Any other characters that stood out to you guys? I was going to say, speaking of Kirk, towards the end of the episode, he's sort of on the planet with Trelane trying to get the Enterprise away safely. And so he's like distracting Trelane. And I know that we have been having a kill count with Kirk and he didn't kill anybody in this episode, but he does give this little speech where he's like trying to provoke Trelane into like fighting him instead of hanging him. And he says, but what about the terror, the suspense, the fun of murder? And I was like, holy shit, (laughs) Kirk, that's very dark. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a speech from from someone who enjoys murder but can't indulge in it as much as they'd like. This damn captain's uniform. What if you and I team up and go on the road? We can murder so many people. (laughs) Sure, we all love murder. It's so much fun. But sometimes human laws prevent us from murdering people. And that's just something you have to live with. We all want to murder, just like we all want to fuck our ships. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, the rogue intellect of Kirk, you know, where he can talk someone into trying to have a sword fight with a god. And give them a... a very soap opera slap. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed so That's hard when he Kirk. did that. Mm-hmm. That was pretty great, too. And he's like, get away from her. And he's like, oh, are you jealous? It's like, I don't care what you call it. You know, she's mine. And it was like provoking him into to just focusing on him. You said he doesn't have a kill count, but he did kill one mirror in this episode. That's true. And that seemed to be like, I guess he was in the reflection. So he, in a way, did he kill darker aspect of himself oh wow i wish kirk had more one-liners when whenever he does a kill like when he shoots the mirror he's like looks like that's bad luck for you yeah and then people are like kirk that's not how it works you have the bad luck he just darts his eyes back and forth panicked he just shoots he just shoots the person who said that anyone else have any objections yeah All right, so let's talk about the script and the plot. Corey, do you want to give us a little plot skeleton? Yeah, absolutely. So the episode starts, of course, with uh, everybody on the bridge getting a nice cup of coffee uh, without a lid on it. (laughs) And that was the third note that I have. And now I am completely out of notes. But yeah, everyone gets their drink. (laughs) They're going to go through what's called a star desert to get to some place. And a star desert is basically an expanse of space with no stars or anything like that. It's like an expanse, I guess. Oh, Corey, you say it in such romantic terms. Why don't you just go by the facts? (laughs) Yeah, Spock doesn't really see why the humans care about a star desert. They they do bring up something that I, I wanted to talk to you guys about really fast. And I'm sure there's been a lot of literature on this, but I just wanted to have you guys just kind of go off the top of your head here that they kind of mentioned that humans have a fascination with deserts. And I just watched Lawrence of Arabia yesterday. Well, mm. the first half of it because holy shit, that's a really long movie. But I, I was wondering like, why do you guys think that humans have such a fascination with deserts? Why, why they're so romanticized? I think it's almost because they're like a challenge. Getting through a desert is something that, you accomplish i mean we've had to overcome deserts throughout our history to travel to different places so i think that's why there's kind of a romance to them well and before like 
cars and planes, it would have been really hard to get through a desert. You wouldn't be able to just fly overhead and see what's there or, or go explore because you could get lost. You could die so easily. And so what's in the middle of a desert that's too big for anybody to cross and come back alive is really mysterious. Yeah, I agree. And then I was also thinking like the the mysticism of the desert. Why would you go into a desert? You go there to get away from everybody. And it's almost like a sensory deprivation tank where there's no civilization, there's mm-hmm. few animals, there's little foliage, and it's just you and your your soul and and the planet and you're basically alone under the stars. Well, and you see like mirages, you know, and it's very yeah, it's kind of mystical and magical where you you can sometimes like hallucinate or or go there and go on some sort of, you know, almost extraplanetary experience when you go into a desert. Well, and the hot, the extremes of it's super hot during the day, it's super cold at night. You know, this desert seems like this huge immovable thing, but the sands shift all the time. And yeah, very mystical, mysterious. And I'm glad you guys mentioned a mirage because while they're heading into this expanse, there is suddenly this planetoid that appears in their path that wasn't there before. And it's totally uh, uncharted. No one's ever seen it. And so they decide that they're not going to go down to it. They're going to uh, skirt around it because they don't have time to do that right now. But suddenly Sulu and Kirk are transported off the ship. Dun, dun, dun. (gasps) What happened? So their, their sensors show that this is a ship that's, I'm sorry, it's a planet. That's a deadly planet, but, when the crew decides to beam down there to go look for Sulu and Kirk, they're in this pocket that's like this lush oasis, if we're going to carry the the uh, the desert metaphor. It's McCoy, Jaeger, and Dassel, Dassal, the French guy. Uh-huh. And they find this castle that is this, it's like well-kept and it's richly lit and it has like a fire burning and it looks like something out of out of the 19th century, like one of those romanticized castles. It's not like a medieval castle. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to mention, did you guys see when they first walked into the castle, there was a little alcove there and there was a creature in the alcove yes. that they all looked at? Did you guys recognize it? Yes, I did. Is it the salt monster? Yep, yeah. it was a salt sucker. And mm. do you know why it's there? Because they had an extra costume. They have, yeah. We have this costume. <laughs> it's it costs bu- yeah, so budgetary. much money yeah. to make. <laughs> absolutely. That is absolutely what it is. Uh, when they walk into the castle, they see Kirk and Sulu like under this green light and they're frozen. Kind of, And they mention that like, oh, they're like waxwork figures. They're not alive or anything. <laughs> what a 1960s reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the door shuts on them and we see this strange man playing harpsichord. And we've already discussed his attire. He's a, he's a fancy man in fancy general outfits. And this is General Trelane. He releases Kirk and Sulu. And then basically the, the core of the episode is the the awake team trying to get back they they eventually break away from Trillane and Trillane goes up and visits them he beams them all back down again and 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 the, the core of the episode is really just the back and forth that Kirk has with Trillane who's this capricious whimsical godlike child who wants to play with his away crew because he's so obsessed with humanity and Kirk trying to find any <laughs> way he can to get his crew to safety even so far as offering to sacrifice himself so his crew can get away and yeah that's that's the episode they ultimately get away because it turns out that Trillane is just a child who has uh been playing with his toys and his parents find out and uh he gets in trouble and his parents offer to let kirk go back home and that's that 
Now, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the middle that we'll talk about, but that's the scratch structure of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought, what did you guys think of the pacing? I thought this was nicely paced. I didn't, didn't have the, like, boring middle section. I felt others do. I don't know. Maybe you guys might disagree, but I felt like this was nicely paced and, and moved along in a good clip. I will agree, except the one thing that I wish they would stop doing is they create this, like, MacGuffin for why they're encountering these planets and these creatures. Like, in this case, they're like, oh, we're not going to go to that planet. And then, like, Kirk and Sula get sucked in. Or they have to drop off supplies. And, like, I wish they would just be like, oh, uh, there's a planet. Let's check it out. And then hijinks ensue. I agree, Emily. Thinking about Voyager, even though I've never watched it, they at least had an overall goal that they're trying to accomplish. And anything that popped up in their path was incidental, whether they needed an alliance or they needed to like find a technology or they needed to do a favor for somebody. Like they had their goal that they were always going towards. And this is like a five-year mission to do colonoscopies and deliver medical supplies to right. planets. Well, um, and So even- yeah, I, I agree. TNG, they're just like, we're an exploration mission, so we're just supposed to go places and see what's there, and sometimes we get other missions along the way, but it's like, I don't need a big, this is why we have to go down there. I don't know. I thought it was justified, and I thought it was fine for people to suddenly disappear and then be like, we need to go down here, because it doesn't make sense for them. I mean, they see a planet, right, that they weren't expecting there. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for them to go down and check it out because it's just a rock that's poisonous to them. So why would they be like, hey, let's check this out. You know, let's put ourselves in danger to where they could just scan it and then be like, oh, okay," and then go along. See, I feel almost the opposite. I think that them saying, oh, this is a star desert. And then wait a minute, a planet's appeared. That shouldn't be there. We better go down and see what it is. Would be enough to get the episode rolling for me. Yeah, I suppose the. The conceit of the last episode was that they were going to put off going to New Paris because they wanted to check out this quasar because they're under or nebula or whatever it was because they're under special orders to to monitor and to gather information about any one of those that they come across. But in this case, they're like, oh, a planet. Eh, Well, agree to disagree. (laughs) I agree with both of you. You're going to kill us in our sleep, aren't you, Clint? No, I mean, disagreements are good. I'm just saying, you know, you guys are idiots and you're wrong. So (laughs) that's probably true. You guys have a different position and I respect that. (laughs) I respect your ability to be an idiot. (laughs) I really loved that when the away mission was was down there and they get to know Trelane and Trelane's fancy speech. He's just talking about how humans are the only predators that that hunt their own species. And that's one thing that he just loves to remark about them and then he's like trying to psychoanalyze the humans and and he's fascinated by whatever decisions they make and one line i really like that kind of distills all of that down is the mccoy and kirk and a couple other people are kind of huddled in a corner while trillane's playing the harpsichord and they're coming up with a plan and he leans over and he's like ah discussing deep laid plans i cannot wait to see them evolve like <laughs> oh how do you, how are you humans going to react to this situation i just loved it he was just he was just like playing with them like a toy yeah no he was definitely a great villain and that was a great moment i also like the part when Kirk was like introducing him to the crew and he's like this is the squire this is my comms officer and this is my yeoman and this is McCoy and he just like has this tone about him the whole time when he's doing that even though Trelane said he didn't like 
Spock's tone, but you like Kirk's tone, you know? <laughs> my favorite Trillane moment is when Kirk is like, you need to let my crew men and crew women go. And Trillane goes, women? And like, gets really excited that there's the fairer sex, quote unquote, on the uh, ship. That was like a clip that if you took out his women, you just play it over and over. It's hilarious and weird. It also, like, when he was, quote, unquote, complimenting Uhura and the other woman, he was, like, such a creep, you know, talking about, oh, a Nubian beauty, blah, blah, blah. And so I don't know. It's it's I don't know if they meant him to be as creepy as he came off. But that was, like, one thing that 60 years later, like, aged well, where he was being a huge creep. I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. I, yeah. I totally agree. Because I was thinking about this. This is the 1960s where... You know, we've we've talked about the the role of women in society at that time and in this show. But I thought it was interesting that even in that time, they were broadcasting back another two hundred and fifty years to say, like, yeah, the you know, <laughs> this is how people spoke to women, and it's it's he he calls her a, a Nubian prize. She has melting eyes of Queen Sheba. And what I was reading in the behind the scenes, the the dude that played Trelane flubbed the line a little bit, and he mm-hmm. accidentally called Uhura a Nubian slave, and it, oh, like no. like everyone on the set was like, "Oh my god!" and and uh, Michelle Nichols was like, "I'm gonna kick you in the ankle for saying that." That's what she was quoted <laughs> as saying. I the thing that's great, and I think Clint they did purposely make him creepy because Uhura's face is so good. She just looks. She is like the most are you kidding me with this shit look? It is wonderful. Yeah, and it's nice to see Ohura get a little bit more action. That mm-hmm. sounds weird, dirty, but... Um, screen get time. Get a little bit more... Yeah, screen time. <laughs> she's present, though, but she's very perfunctory, right? Yeah. She has her her job, and she does it. And, and she doesn't have much characterization. Though we have seen her, she likes to sing her little improvised songs. Well, I have a little trivia bit for y'all. So, oh, yeah. as we're talking about uh, Trelane, I cannot remember his name. Trelane. I know, I'm having a hard time too. I keep wanting to call him Verlaine, which I know isn't right. And then my brain just goes, not Verlaine, not anything. <laughs> okay. When, when Trelane is being a real creep to Ohura and the yeoman, uh, he says to the yeoman, Sweet Helen, make me immortal with a kiss. And that is from Dr. Faustus by Christopher Marlowe. Oh, interesting. Which is the plot of which is that a man sells his soul to the devil for um, power, essentially. Unlimited knowledge and power. And this is like in his speech where he's starting to regret his choices a bit. Emily, that's interesting, but I thought you were going to ask us a trivia question, and I ha- I got to beat Clint in getting it right <laughs> oh, faster no. than him. Can you think of one really fast? I'm so sorry. Okay, so getting back into the episode, one moment I liked, too, was when the Yulman got back to the ship, and she was still wearing the, the nice dress that she was put into. Because Trelane forces her to dance with him while Uhura plays harpsichord. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And it was a nice dress. She looked good. But she's like, oh, do you mind if I change? And he's like, yes, this, you know, the ball's over. Time to take off your glass slippers. But I thought that was like a fun little exchange. Like Kirk didn't like weirdly sexualize her or like, I don't know. And it was cool that he's like, get out of that thing that she asked for it. So I thought that was a nice little cute moment. Yeah, she well, and it was it was really cute. 
She said, permission for five minutes to change back into regular clothes. And then that's when he did his. It was was really cute. If I was ever to go to a Star Trek conference, I would be like, uh, excuse me, in the Squire of Gothos episode, when the Yaoman puts on the dress, but then the mirror is broken, which breaks all the illusions. Um, should she not be wearing anything at all? Or should she, she, she be wearing her uniform underneath that? Surely she should be able to take that back up to the ship with her. I'll take my question off the air. You just you just wanted to see her in the buff is what you want. <laughs> no, let's talk about the mirror. I think if you ever go to a Star Trek conference, you should wear that dress, Corey. <laughs> you would you'd look good in it, Corey. It'd be great. This is the this is the second episode in or yeah, in so many episodes that uh we've seen uh, a lady put on a fancy old-time dress. Mm-hmm. Won't be Just the saying. last. Won't be the last. Won't be the last. <laughs> Can we talk about the mirror cuz I have questions about the mirror. Okay, let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay, so Kirk notices, because they're trying to find any kind of a weakness that Trillane has, because he seems to be omnipotent, and he seems to have all the power in his little uh, oasis kingdom on this dead, violent planet. Like, he's able to make the oxygen breathable, he has trees there, he has a castle there, and he can, like, replicate food for them. And then they kind of, like, intuit that he's able to turn mass or energy into mass and then mass into energy, and he can transport mass however he wants. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're starting to like try to figure out a plan of like what what's his weakness. And one of the ideas that they have is that like the food doesn't taste like anything, right? They say it's all form but no substance because he's studied humanity, but he doesn't know he wouldn't know what wine tastes like because he just has a telescope. Mm-hmm. And then and then they notice that he does not stray away from this mirror that's in the castle. And I didn't really understand that. I didn't really notice that too much either. But apparently he's always hanging out next to this mirror and it's like a source of his power. I don't know. It was a little weird. But uh kirk when uh, kirk gets mad that trillane's dancing with his yeoman so he uh, challenges the squire to a duel and they have a duel and kirk uses his shot to shoot the mirror which like breaks the mechanism and and trillane gets pissed off and then they're able to escape during that time but i just did not understand like was the mirror creating all the illusions was it like helping trillane because he certainly still had his power after the mirror was destroyed yeah, so what I got was basically it's a machine that reads Trelane, Trelane's mind and then carries out his orders. And it wasn't the only machine he had on the, pres- the premises to do that. So he had like a backup machine or some other machines. So when Kirk broke his, his first one, it disrupted his ability to use his powers, uh, so to speak. But he was able to regroup and then replace that machine with a new one. They don't really explain it after he breaks it. Like how can he use that or something like that? But what I got the impression was, is that when he like stands in front of the mirror, the machine is reading his mind and then carrying out his orders. Okay. I got it. That doesn't make sense, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, you put a lot more thought into figuring that out than I did. (laughs) Because Spock, he mentions, like, it's something that reads his mind. Spock said it had to be something that, like, read his brain patterns or whatever. So it was just a very complicated computer that could understand what, you know, tasks or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. That's how I thought it was explained. They go back up to the ship because 
Kirk destroys his mirror and then they're trying to escape from the planet. But my favorite part of the episode is how Trelane turns the planet into his own personal spaceship and just starts <laughs> chasing them with his planet. And I was like, holy shit, this is pretty metal. Like yeah. The Enterprise getting chased by this toxic planet and they can't escape. <laughs> I love that too, Corey. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say that's my favorite part is when they're being chased by a planet. And I would have loved, I'd love to see this scene in a, you know, like a, in a reboot or something. Cause it'd be cool to see with better, you know, computer graphic effects of a planet chasing a starship. Yeah. I like a really high tech, like chase scene with a, pl- a round planet blobbing along after a starship. <laughs> yeah. It's just hard to do because like they're two objects in space nothingness so it'd be difficult to like make it that exciting because it's just like there's no obstacles or anything you know they just try and go in one direction and that planet follows them but i thought that was yeah that was such a cool idea that like a planet is was it disappearing and reappearing too did you because i felt i was confused by that no i felt like that 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 was just them being confused because they couldn't understand that it was moving at first but it was like rotating around them oh okay Okay, mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah, because it seemed like they're like, oh, the planet's still, it's a, there's a planet in front of us. And they're like, oh, it's Gothos. And like, you guys <laughs> didn't see that the only planet around is like chasing you. Like, you you didn't put that two together that the only planet around is chasing you. You know, they seem surprised that Gothos was like in front of them. And they're like, wait, that's Gothos? I thought it was behind us. I don't know. And it's a pretty fucking cool name for a planet, right? Gothos. I know it sounds a lot like Gotham, but that wasn't really that much of a thing at that time. I loved it. The other thing I loved about the planet chasing them is that it was a little bit of a a goofy, like, fun episode. And the idea of a planet chasing them is goofy and fun. I think still my favorite goofiest concept is a planet with a gun (laughs) (laughs) from Shore Leave. I just can't get that that out of my brain. With sinister music playing as the rock slowly lifts up. The planet was birthed by America. <laughs> when they're trying to get away from the planet, Kirk just decides that he needs to go back down and offer himself to Trillane so Trillane will stop, like sacrifice himself. And mm-hmm. then we get escape from Farpoint, right? <laughs> we get a <laughs> we get a, a court a courtroom scene where Trillane's dressed in this foppish, uh, like old time barrister's outfit. And he's basically putting Kirk on trial. And I felt that this was a very strong scene. I really, really liked the dialogue that they had between each other. It was, mm-hmm. it was, it was full of piss and vinegar. Yeah. It yeah. Fun. It was a, it was a great scene. I liked to the silhouette of the, the noose hanging over. It was very well composed. It also looks very much like the first time we see Q and TNG. They are in like an old English courtroom and Q is the judge presiding over. So it, it's a nice callback to that. When he puts them on trial, they it's like the 22nd century court or something like that. Yeah, but well, that's what he says, but it is very like traditional English parliament style. Oh, OK. Yeah. With guns and I think little tiny gesture people. Mm-hmm. Always guns. Yeah. Must have been an American court. <laughs> yeah again <laughs> birthed by america <laughs> all right so let's uh talk about the resolution i've i've seen this episode before so it didn't surprise me emily did it surprise you did you see it coming the end with his mom yeah or or also Corey, maybe too yeah 
I, so right before that happened, I kind of had this thing of like, how are they going to wrap this up? And then once that started happening, I, I thought it was hilarious. I loved it. So I didn't really see it coming, I guess. No. Did you like the surprise or did you thought it like made sense? I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. You could definitely see like kind of looking back, you know, how childish she was and how he kind of goes into tantrums and he kind of like wants to challenge or wants to play fair at the beginning. And then he kind of like loses his upper hand and then he just says, F it, I want to win. And then he, he cheats. So, yeah. And I, I think the actor played that perfectly where he kind of devolved into childish whining really well without ever making oh, he, it. He seem... dropped his accent too. He was like, just like a 1960s yeah. boy with an American accent. Yeah, he never tipped it so much so that you thought it was serious, but he never undersold it. It was great. Yeah, and then he did slip into that, like, cadence and, like, the way it's, like, a 1960s, you know, little boy would talk. He's like, but I'm a general. I'm a general. I would have won. You saw I would have won. It's not fair. I want to play with my planet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and those are definitely, like, absentee parents. You could... You could definitely see why those parents produced a child who's so spoiled, you know, was so mean to people. And they're just like, oh, sorry, you know, accept our apology. See you Mm -hmm. later. (laughs) Cool. Anything else about the plot that you guys want to talk about? Do you want to hear what I thought about the end? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have. (laughs) Oh, wow. I meant to ask Corey about it. I was just waiting for you to ask me. Now who's an absentee parent? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Stop fighting, children. It's all right. (laughs) Children, I love you equally, which is none. <laughs> Still waiting. So, Corey, what do you think about the ending? My thought was, oh, my God, that's where Futurama got the idea. Yeah. It's the exact same thing on Where No Ship Has Gone Before. Is that the name of the Futurama episode? Where No, no Fan Has Gone Before. No Fan. Yeah. Where, the, where they, the, they have that. What's the name of the alien in that episode? I forget. It's been Whatever. so long since I've seen that one. But anyway, at the end, the way it's resolved is like a deus ex machina where the, the the mom shows up and she's like, he's not a child. He's 42. He's just yeah. like to play with his toys all the time. So it, that's exactly where they got it. I thought it was fun. I didn't see it coming. I thought Clint, I thought Clint, Kirk, I thought Kirk was going to end up killing Trelane because like the way that, that the, the courtroom scene resolves is Kirk's like, well, it would be boring to just hang me. You you want the, the, the human emotions. Why don't we do a manhunt where you just try and kill me? And then they have like a sword fight in the forest. That's kind of exciting. And then Kirk's like besting him. And then he cheats. And then well, and Kirk at one point also just grabs his sword and snaps it in half. Yeah, what was that? Was that? a pretty baller move. That was so funny. It definitely was. This is how masculine I am. Yeah, it's a good setup for Trelane being a little kid because he's like, "I'm gonna kill you," and Kirk's just like, "No, you're not." <laughs> Do you want to get all Freudian about this? Maybe like that's the time where Kirk took his manhood and literally snapped it, right? Oh. And then after that, he loses oh, yeah. control, right? So if you think the sword as a phallus and and he's, a symbol, he's of literally demand him or unmanned mm-hmm. him. Yeah, and then he castrated him, and then his parents come and dominate him. And mother, mother has to dominate him. Mm-hmm. I've never mm-hmm. thought of weapons like swords and guns as like phallic devices. 
but that that that's a cool that's a cool way to think about it. Clint, that's pretty good. Maybe you should go to grad school. Yeah, I've got a whole new world for you, Corey. <laughs> You're like, come see my sword collection. Do you guys want to hear some fun some fun facts about this episode? Yeah. Always. Do you remember that episode of DS9 where there are three Klingons who come on the station to talk to Jadzia about participating in a blood oath? Mm-hmm. Vaguely. Well, William Campbell, who played Trelane, was one of those three Klingons. Oh, cool. That's yeah. interesting. Oh, yeah. I love how they have so many uh, actors and actresses reappear throughout the Star Trek universe. That's a great tradition. Yeah, it's such a fun Easter egg sort of moment. And it makes you feel like... Aside from our sweet Grace Lee Whitney, many people had a good time working on the show if they want to come back. Mm-hmm. I was thinking if I ever, if, if we ever rebooted Star Trek, I would want James Cromwell to play the captain of the ship because I think he's earned it at this point. He's played like every race and he's been, he's been in every series. Probably not TOS. Maybe. I don't know. He's pretty old. Did he die? James Cromwell, the guy who plays Efren Cockrum? No, and... he's still alive. He's got to be old though, he's... right? Yeah, he's, he's 81. He was born in, yeah, he's born in 1940. I was just looking wow. him up. I okay, looked sec- him up. I don't know that off the top of my head. The second thing I have was that the writer of this episode was inspired to write it because he by saw... By Charlie X? No, not by Charlie X, because he, he wanted to write this <laughs> as an anti-war piece because he saw some kids playing war. You know how boys will like pretend to shoot each other and like do war stuff yeah and he mm-hmm. was like that is so sad that that kids play that and they like act that out so he wanted to show like a what what, what if you knock kick that up a notch and a, a child god was playing war you know because he's not doing anything oh, a kid wouldn't do right mm-hmm. making soldiers yeah. kill each other wow that's interesting yeah that's that's a cool i could definitely see that yeah that that's really good well they even yeah. say at the end they're like if you can't play nicely with your pets you're not gonna have mm-hmm. yeah Huh, that's interesting. That's a great little uh, trivia bit. As also because he did the German impression of them like marching around, uh-huh. and I'm like, well, that's probably a lot more prescient in the '60s than it is today of you know them goose stepping. Yeah, I I thought that the same thing that that would have really shot across the bow in a much different way than it does for us. Although you know Nazis are like the perennial villain. Well, I I guess we should be glad that he only got to. The French Revolution or Napoleon <laughs> era of of planet Earth, and he he didn't get up to the 1950s yet. He still needs to. He has a lot of binging to do before he gets to there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or else it would be all nuclear bombs. <laughs> <laughs> that was a scene that we never talked about. Was when he identifies Sulu and the De Sal, and then the other guy, and he like talks to them all in their in their people's. Act, uh, languages like he, he speaks to sulu in japanese and to Sol in french i thought that that was cool i like oh and he bowed to sulu right mm-hmm. yeah he speaks yeah. french and german yeah mm-hmm. yeah that was interesting all right anything else that you guys want to talk about only i can't remember if it's the french one or the german guy but one of them looks exactly like james vanderbeek <laughs> like exactly it was really funny <laughs> well actually that touches on um an interesting trivia bit um is that john actually vanderbeek. james vanderbeek <laughs> yeah john no john vanderbeek james's father played that role 
Are you serious or are you making that up? No, I'm making all of that up. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm so good at noticing faces. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the most convincing lies are the ones you want to be told. <laughs> oh, Clint, Can you're going to be really dark today. <laughs> you, next, you're going to be telling us how fun murder is. <laughs> I think I've already done that. Every day Sorry, of I've your just life. Been, I've just been paying too much attention to American politics. <laughs> Can you guys... Please stop saying that you have trivia for me and then not ask me a goddamn <laughs> trivia question. Okay, I promise next week, Corey, we'll have a couple trivia questions for you. No, I want one right now, Clint. All right. You want a trivia question right now? I'll give it to you. Um, You're just thinking about it right now? Yeah. Okay, I'll give you time I'm to think about it. Searching database. In Gene Roddenberry's original treatment for Star Trek, what was the name of the starship before it was Enterprise? Hmm. The Infatigable? <laughs> Yorktown. Oh, the Yorktown. The the uh, Infatigable was an actual ship during World War One. Oh, that's interesting. That would have been a neat little uh, Easter egg. The Yorktown sounds like an awful name. I'm glad they. I'm glad they chose a different one. What? Uh, okay. Which Star Trek captain has an artificial heart? Benjamin Sisko, Catherine Janeway, Picard, Jonathan Archer, Emily, don't or waste Jean-Luc my time. Picard. <laughs> Which alien race did my true enemy say reminded him of Congress? Wait, uh, I can give you choices. So Ronald Reagan visited the set of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and he said that one alien race reminded him of Congress. Was oh, it triple. the Ferengi, it the, the Borg, the Vulcans, or the Klingons? The Klingons. The Ferengi. It was the Klingons, which is a real insult to my race because Ronald Reagan is the worst. <laughs> well, hopefully, maybe you'll be able to go in back in time for some reason and kill him. Oh, God, that'd be so great. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way, good place to stop. I hope you, everyone there, had as much fun as we did while recording this. Uh, thank you for listening. And until we see you next time, keep on trekking. I God, I'd love to see more of World War Three in Star Trek because they talk about that a good amount. Maybe that's what the reboot should be is Rosario Dawson as a Starfleet captain during World War Three. <laughs> I think that that's our, our another one for a pitch episode. Yeah. Star Trek, World War Three. World War Three. Mm-hmm. Or it could follow Khan or something. That would be interesting. I'd love it. Oh, we're gonna make him so hot in that in like in that series. Like he's gonna be like <laughs> in his twenties and he's oh, gonna yeah. be really sexy and he's not gonna have like these moral uh moral gray areas he's going to be really principled at the start and then he's going to find out that they're using him and then he kind of becomes more evil over time but like at the start guys like the first season he is hot 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 hot. (laughs) it's like a a anakin in the 90s reboots where he starts off real sexy and then the evil turns him are you talking about when he's a child no uh (laughs) 
<laughs> Rose quits. Don't That's how he starts me. off in those. <laughs> Don't. We didn't do the Miri episode, so yeah. <laughs> that, that, that reference doesn't apply. We also talked about it in the last one with uh, the Shakespeare's daughter. Yeah, I know. I didn't mention it in that episode, but I think it's weird that everyone was like, oh, does Kirk have evil intentions? Is like, nope, he just wants to bang a 19-year-old. What's so bad about that? Right. 